Good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Good. Glad, glad you're all here this morning. Glad to be back. Um, I want to take a minute, before we dismiss BLAST students and BLAST workers today, I want to take a minute uh, and just chat about um, dads for a sec. I had a couple of experiences recently, and I wanted to encourage dads today. Um, you know, it's, it's really funny. I heard something this week about how Father's Day and Mother's Day are different, you know, and we know, like, church, like look at the, around you, you know, on Mother's Day, it's like pink tablecloths and flowers and soft words, and then, you know, they, I heard somebody saying that um, the greeting cards are fundamentally different for dads, you know, usually full of fart jokes, uh, and, and, and I heard people kind of like, kind of saying, oh, isn't that a shame? We should use, you know, loving words for our father and, and all that stuff, and okay, I guess, you know, but... Uh, I was talking to a couple of friends of, of mine, and, and one, one friend of mine um, was formerly a pastor and said these words to me, and it, and it really stood out to me. Um, he said, uh, I, I used to be a pastor, but now I don't really have anyone to pastor, only my family. I thought that was a really powerful, striking thing to say, only my family, right? And, and then I had another occasion um, that... Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard or not, and I'm gonna, I didn't tell them I'm going to do this, but uh, um, Nathan and Emily are getting married. Did you guys know this? Yeah, so some props there. But I say that not to say, oh, but congratulations, guys. We love it. But I want to say that um, when I was talking to them, they kept planning their wedding ceremony, but we did not. We, Chris is a planner, you know, and she has a need to know everything and how it's planned out. And after weeks of baited anticipation, finally, just in a moment, I had to say, who's officiating? Because they hadn't told us that part of the plan yet, right? And Nathan, my son, whom I love, looks at me and he says, you know, we kind of wanted to ask you, but we also didn't know if you wanted to be just dad. Now, you can see that both ways, right? You can go like, Oh, that's so kind that, you know, you want me to experience it as just dad. But then the word that's taught me is just dad. Like, isn't that funny that we kind of reorganize God's hierarchy for the family um, to say, well, well, pastors are here, but you're just dad. This word came to mind for both my friend who said, I'm, I'm only, I, I only have my family uh, and my own family who I love so much is um, pastor dad. Like, do you understand, men, that God has given you a solemn responsibility? I mean, I know our words are harder sometimes for one another. They're harsh, and we don't communicate emotion well, and, and you know, we make, you know, off-color jokes to break the tension, and we punch people in the arm and act like we don't care. But today, I want to say, thank God for dads. Like, for real, you know? Um, Thank God for the dads that are out in the garage throwing tools because they can't communicate their emotions to their family, but they love their family, so they're throwing tools, you know. Uh, thank God for, for dads that try to sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Um, thank God for dads who, who maybe have taken kids into their home and, and loved them as their own. I just say, if you're a father... You're a pastor. Did you know that? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you know that. That's for real. God's design in the family was that they would have a protector, a caregiver, a lover, a warrior. And I'm standing here as one before you say, I don't do all that stuff well. 
some of you guys are so encouraging me because you do it so much better. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And I try to emulate what I see in you. But I just want to say thank God for dads, you know. So wherever you're at today, whatever's going on, um, I just want to pray for dads. And, and that's it. Say thanks. Thanks for that. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, today we come here uh, worshiping you. I mean, you are the object of our worship, and you are beautiful and worthy of all of our worship today. And we're grateful to be gathered here with brothers and sisters who call you Father and who worship you with us. We thank you so much for your son and the demonstration of the relationship you show through him of your great love and sacrifice and leadership and difficulty. We thank you for the model that you show us. And today, I want to say honestly, thank you for dads. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us, positioned us uh, in our families to be leaders and lovers and warriors, to, to just do. And we, Father, we say, and you know that we don't do what we want to do all the time. The things that end up happening aren't the, aren't the things that we intend to happen or we look back maybe and we see mistakes, mistakes we've made. And today, Father God, we just want to say thank you for the chance to learn and love and follow you. I want to pray today, Father, that wherever our dads are that are in the room today, whatever their situation is, and maybe they, their kids aren't even around anymore, or maybe that they've been alienated, or, or, or maybe they're, they're so close that, that all the pains of life come flooding in, overwhelm them, wherever they are, would you give them a special gift of your blessing today, of your encouragement, of your Holy Spirit's power would you convict us in our souls when we need to do better, but would you encourage us for the hard days where we feel like we can't do enough or maybe we feel like we've done it wrong? Help us to be great fathers and help us to trust you whenever things are really, really hard. May we never devalue the position that you've given us. Help us to do that. We ask you this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. Praise God. We're going to dismiss blast students and blast workers to the back, and we're going to continue this morning uh, in the Word. By the way, if you didn't, if you, if you got an engagement sheet today, um, I was going to put that on the screen. I would encourage you to write that down, Pastor Dad. I mean, just write that on your sheet and take it with you and, and think about what that really means that God has chosen um, to make some of us fathers. I, I certainly don't pretend to understand everything ab about uh, God or Jesus or Scripture or the Holy Spirit or His kingdom or anything else, uh, but I'm, I'm so blessed and encouraged um, to be learning with you. So today we're going to continue a series called Because Jesus, and uh, um, much like Dan today, um, we snuck in last week and had an opportunity to worship with you and, and uh, um, hear Lance preach. It was a great, uh, I, I love this book of Hebrews. Lance did a great job of expounding what Hebrews teaches us in the second part of the second chapter. Um, I hope you've been reading it with us. And if you've not been reading with us, I can't, I'll say again, read it. Just read it with us, you know, run through there. Uh, it was really funny. I was having a conversation the other day and I said to someone, I said, it says somewhere in the Bible and then I quoted something, but I didn't know where it was in the Bible. And then I, later I looked it up because I wanted to know and it was in Hebrews. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Why well, I'd be on my heart and mind. I've been reading Hebrews. So I knew what the word said in a time of need. Um, 
you know, be doing that. Be, be checking out the Word of God for yourself. Um, maybe join a family group. That's an awesome thing to do. Uh, if you can't join a family group, find some guys or, or uh, families or your, your own family. Get together and just sit down with the Word of God and talk through. I can't, you know, I'll just say one more thing. I can't imagine the power of a father sitting down with his family and actually talking about what the Scriptures say. And I know it's kind of hard to do practically sometimes, but that's, a, that's quite a model that, that we could uh, emulate ourselves. I want to remind you today of the theme of Hebrews, and this is actually the theme for our uh, series and and everything else, and uh, it's kind of encapsulated in this uh, symbol, Um, and the idea of Hebrews over and over again is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything else going on. And, and we said that the book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people were Abrahamic, Abrahamic faith, right? Um, they claimed that that was their lineage, their faith lineage. And, and here, we've already heard um, the author of Hebrews saying, Jesus is greater than the prophets, and, and Jesus is greater than the angels. And today, he's, he's gonna say, Jesus is greater than Moses. And, and, and it continues to go on and on. Jesus is greater, the, the book of Hebrews. Um, and that matters in how we follow him and how we respond to the gospel ourselves. We must understand that there's no, no one with more authority, more power, more glory than Jesus Christ. So that's the theme for the book. So today we're going to get into the third, third chapter. Before we do, I'm going to do what we always do. We're going to pray again. I was thinking this morning, you know, Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. So I want to pray one more time. Just that God would open the word to those of us who are still in the room, that we could understand it, and then actually apply it, live it out in our lives, and, and through his Holy Spirit. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the chance we have to now learn uh, more from you, to grow more in you, uh, to be rebuked and corrected where we need it, that those, those areas of our lives that aren't right, aren't holy, aren't pleasing to you would be cut away, but that we could actually live into and grow into and expand into the people you're calling us to be. Uh, we believe you do that through the, the understanding of your word, but the application of scripture, and also through the power of your Holy Spirit to live these things out. We claim freely that without your spirits indwelling in us, we are dead men and women walking, that we need you and we need your deliverance and we need your help. And so today we're going to ask very clearly, would you help us to understand your word? Uh, Would the, the, the things that are said and heard today be glorifying to you and encouraging to your people that we could follow you more faithfully? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to jump right in. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Hebrews 3. If you don't have a Bible, they're on in the chair rows, maybe in front of you or something. You can grab one and look at Hebrews 3. It's going to be on page 838 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chair rows. So grab one of those and check it out. And we're going to walk right through. I'm not going to read it and, and talk through it. We're just going to kind of roll as we go here, okay? So see what God has for us this morning. I'm going to read the first few sentences and we'll just stop there. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. I'm going to stop there real quick. So I think Lance said this last week. Um, I think I said it the week before. I, I think Corey has said it before in preaching. I'm sure others have said it to you. But one key thing you can understand about studying the Bible is if there is a therefore, and Hebrews is full of therefores, by the way, you have to figure out why it's there, 
right? And so the first thing I want to do is look at that word, therefore. So you have to understand in Hebrews 3, when we open the book, it's not freestanding idea of its own, like, okay, now here's Hebrews 3, study it. But Hebrews 3 is inextricably linked to Hebrews 2 and what Lance talked about last week. It's all woven together into a complete narrative or story or argument, you might say, um, of our testimony of who God is and what he's doing. So what, what's the therefore, therefore, like, what does it matter? I want to notice, by the way, what are those little things called when you put commas around sections of text in a sentence? It's called a parentheses? No, it's called a, what is it really? It's called a parenthetical comments? Is that what it is? I don't know. I'm making stuff up. But this is what, if you look, it says, therefore, holy brothers, and that's Adelphos, brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on Jesus. See, it skips over a few things because it, de- it defines the holy brothers and sisters there, but it says, therefore, fix your, I'm sorry, your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your minds on Jesus. And, and, and the question is, well, why, why should we fix our minds on Jesus? And, and you might say, well, we're Christians. We're supposed to. That's what we're taught when we're little kids. But there's a reason in the text that we're supposed to fix our minds on Jesus. Do you know what it is? All you have to do is read right before it in 18 of chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he, Jesus, is able to help those being tempted. I mean, this is a practical book, Hebrews. It's written to the Jewish people. It's written to us, the followers of Jesus. And it's like, I mean, it's written to Jewish Christians. Let me be clear about that. And it's to say, fix your minds on Jesus because he can help you in your days of temptation. The whole thing about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, as, as hard and difficult as, as it is, it was a demonstration that he suffered all things that we could know to suffer. As a matter of fact, in our family group last week, we talked about how m- none of us have suffered to the point that Jesus suffered. Of course we haven't. And even most of us haven't suffered to the point of brothers and sisters around the world who suffered, or brothers, brothers and sisters in history have suffered, given their life, their blood for the gospel, for Jesus. They died because of their faith. That is not true of anyone that I know personally. Some of us are dying, right? I mean, we got some people who are giving, but few people I know, we, this week, we were talking um, at the Ministry Alliance about uh, this morning, and I don't know if you, you'll maybe hear about this later, but there are some churches that have bells. We don't have bells or a building, but, and they were gonna ring them for 10 minutes this morning to remember the price was paid for some people to gather uh, for a prayer meeting, right? And you can put all kind of labels on what happened and that, but they died practicing their faith. If they had been doing anything else, they would not have died. But they were there. Powerful, powerful stuff. And, and we stand with them. We stand with them. Amazing how, how it's all, all so um, tied together. So the reason we fix our minds on Jesus, and it, I'll say one more thing here, that if you caught that, those folks who were family members of those who were killed were given, at the first opportunity saying you are forgiven, repent. What? That's not how the world acts, but that's how the people of Jesus act. How do you do that in your day of trial or difficulty? You fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's how you do it. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Why? Because he can help us when we're being tempted. And temptation comes in all forms. You know, we, it, it can be the daily grind of life, man, just wearing out the, the call to not be faithful um, to a husband or a wife, to not give your lives for your children, to not sacrifice for your parents. And, and all of us, if you start going through the list, you're like, man, I've screwed up those things. Well, we can fix our minds on Jesus 
because he can help us in those times. I want to say too, uh, real quick, in this very first sentence of the second chapter, look at this, the, the description that he gives to us, you and I, as believers. He calls us holy, set apart, different from the world. It's like a fact for the author of Hebrews. And Adelphos means believers. It's, it's translated brothers in my text. It can be brothers and sisters. It's those who believe the gospel. You're holy. You're different. You're set apart. You're, you're children of the king, believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he also says this, holy Adelphos who share in the heavenly calling. And you'll, you'll see that the, the book of Hebrews is a book of worship also. It, it draws us out of our complacency. It draws us out of our, our mundaneness, our knownness of Jesus and says we are going somewhere together. And the word here says that the holy people of God are heaven called. That's us. We're called toward heaven. And that's true for you and it's true for me if I believe the gospel. It's true for us that we're called heavenward, those who have heard the call. Man, that is going to be huge in what he talks about next because I told you he's going to say Jesus is greater than Moses, right? But it's huge because have you heard the voice of God? Like, and I don't mean, you know, I know that's a hang up and gosh, I maybe shouldn't have said that, but I mean, do you, that thing in you, do you have that spirit in you that's beckoning forth and saying, follow me, believe the good news, give your life for others, you're going to the kingdom, you're coming to heaven. It's an inward birth that we're given in Jesus. This call of what it says, a voice is one calling in the wilderness, right? I mean, in the craziness of life, calling us out the church into his kingdom. Those people, if you're, if you're those people, first of all, self-apply those labels, I'm holy, I'm called to heaven, but fix your thoughts, your minds on Jesus couple more things in this one sentence man look how packed this is why he's the apostle and the high priest whom we confess now those are gonna be two big concepts and so we're gonna pull back in a second second chapter real quick and look at them but this high priest idea is gonna unfold in a, in a magnitude kind of way in the book of Hebrews um, so much richness here for us to understand about Jesus role as high priest for us the first, I want to go back then to see where he's getting this. Jesus is called that we confess, that we profess that he's the apostle. That means he's sent for us, sent for us. And it comes in the 14th verse of chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he also shared in their humanity, that's Jesus, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery, listen to the word, by their fear of death. Why did Jesus come to the earth? We can say, well, it was because there was needed a worthy sacrifice. That's true. And God had to make provision. That's true. And God demands holiness. That's true. But he fundamentally came to earth in human form because we had no way to, to have peace without him. We were lost and lost in our fear of death. This, I hope you see, it's very simple, but that Jesus was sent. We think of an apostle like Paul or Peter, right? Or um, 
Thomas, or I mean someone that Jesus said, go, maybe you, you know, go out into the world. But the first goer in the gospel is Jesus because he came to us. And he didn't just come to us like show up on the street corner. He came to us in flesh and brokenness. And as Corey said this morning, as one who is poor and as one who is brokenhearted, he came as the least of us to save our apostle. Who do you believe came for you in this life? The gospel says Jesus. That's what the word says. And then the second idea, so he serves as our apostle. He came to us, but then he, he kind of transcends that and becomes the high priest. And this is where Hebrews really unfolds later on. But we'll see it even in chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. That's you and I, Adelphos again, brothers and sisters in every way. In order that he might become a merciful, what? And faith-filled high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus became our high priest and so and this would have been rich i think for us it's a hard thing to understand i mean i'm saying for me it's a hard thing to understand but for the the hebrew people to have a permanent perfect high priest that's offered sacrifice by the way once for all time that you don't have to go to the temple and offer birds and animals and sheep and all these things anymore because he, he has made atonement for your sins that you your your sins are paid for Huh. Not only are your sins paid for that, that you committed in the past, but the ones that maybe you're struggling with right now are paid for, and the ones that you're going to do tomorrow that you don't want to do are paid for in Jesus' name. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And that's what we confess, is that he is our apostle and high priest. The author of Hebrews brilliant, brilliantly unpacks that, that, you know, that sentence. Here we go. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, that's God, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. You remember Moses' story, right? I'm going to give you like the Reader's Digest version of the story, but Moses was called to go back to his people to rescue them from slavery. Do you remember that? Remember the burning bush story of Moses, right? Remember his preparation and time and training? And then he came back and set the Israelites free. This is going to be huge in, in what we're talking about in a moment here about what's required of us as we follow Jesus. So just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house, Jesus was faithful to the one that appointed him. See, Jesus was completely faithful to God in everything. Verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor, and there it is, I'm not making this up, than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. We talked before in Hebrews already about Jesus is the creator of everything. Everything is made through him. As a matter of fact, we even sang that this morning in one of our songs. But the builder of the house is greater has greater honor than the house itself. I was thinking about that. It's kind of a funny thing. Like, how many times... Uh, if, if, you know, Chris is in real estate, so I mean, we maybe are weird about this, but how many times do you look at something and you say, wow, that's a beautiful house? Or we've been looking at, um, talking about a building fund and having our own uh, permanent home as Family Bible Church and all that, and you start to look, you know, we're putting something together, and we're, we, not uh, plans, but putting something together for the cookbook, honestly, and we started looking at different designs, and, and, and we start to judge the building. We're like, ah, that one's, uh, I don't think that's not very, this one's okay, and you know, you start to kind of, you have an opinion of the building, right? How good or, but how many times you look at a, a beautiful building and go, who built that? Isn't that interesting? I hardly ever do that. I hardly ever ask, who made that? Who designed that? Who, who put those nails in the boards and made that happen? I'm usually like, wow, look at that product. That product's cool. No, product is a result of the person who made it. 
And, and, and the Israelites were so into Moses and what he did. He set his people free, right? And Israel escaped by the grace of God from their enemies and actually delivered their enemies into their hands and all this stuff. And they could marvel in that and say, oh, look at who we are. It's awesome. Look at the house that God made. And Moses was so faithful. When no one else was faithful in the desert, Moses was still believing that God was leading, right? And, and they were so excited about that. But who was stopped asking the question, who built that house? The author of Hebrews said, Jesus built, that, that he's worthy of more honor because he constructed that glory for himself, that, that it's made for the Father, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. I think we've lost touch with that. I, I really do. I think we've lost touch with it. God is worthy of more honor than the things that are made because of God or Jesus. Verse 4, because every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said about in the future, but Christ is faithful as the, here's the word, son over God's house, right? So, so Jesus has a different claim over the house of God than Moses does. And we, you and I, brothers and sisters, the Delphos, holy ones, called toward heaven, are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope in which we boast. Now, I told you a minute ago that the reason the therefore is there is because Jesus can help us in our times of difficulty. What are we called to do? I said to you earlier about fathers, and I prayed for fathers. You know, how do you, how do you father well? We said fix our minds on Jesus, but here we, we claim this house. We hold our courage and the hope for which we boasted. This is going to be the second time now in the book of Hebrews that there's some danger. Three weeks ago, I talked to you about drifting as a danger. You can drift away. We're going to transition now into verse 7 and th th this next danger that's present at our door that we need to learn from this story about why Jesus is greater than Moses and how we can live in that space with him in our lives in a very real way. Verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says today, look at the words, if you hear his voice, and that's a, a question, do you hear God's voice in your life? If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. This idea that we can, we can callous our heart against the good news of Jesus. We can, we can decide, we can pre-decide that we will not believe the gospel because of X, Y, or Z. I will not surrender my heart to Jesus because of X, Y, or Z. And here the warning is, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What? As you did when you were in rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years. Wait, wait. Uh, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. This is a story of Israel. You would think the people set free would be free forever. But, but the story of Israel is they get in the desert and immediately begin to turn their hearts away from God. They begin to harden their hearts against God. Where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. They will not find peace if their hearts are hard against. Many of us live in that space. And the question is, are we hardening our hearts against Jesus? Like I said before, you know, we, we, we struggle. And we have those times. But are you actively deciding? Are you, are you fighting the fight on the wrong side and instead of fighting your flesh and giving yourself over to Christ deciding I'm going to protect myself or I'm going to harden my heart I'm not going to enter in that space with Jesus I'm not going to let him in I'll find my own way to the promised life see God says that's offensive to him 
so offensive it gets his anger up. Why? He, he calls us children. You belong to me. I mean, I mean today's Father's Day, and, and I was telling somebody before service, it's like baby central around here. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's great until you think about a son or a daughter who turns their heart away from you and says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to even be in relationship with you. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to hate you. Then it's not so great. And so God says, you'll never enter my rest that way. You won't get to the promised land without me. There's no way to get there without me. Verse 12 reinforces the idea. Look, see to it, Adelphos, same word, that none of you have a sin-filled, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's lots of warnings in there, right? That having a sin-filled heart can turn us away from God. That, that indulging in sinful desires can turn our hearts away from God. He's talking about a people he's called out of slavery. And yet they can choose, we can choose to turn our hearts away from God and, and sin. Or an unbelieving heart, to believe less than the truth about Jesus, to cling to something else besides him in your greatest hour of need. No, 13, but encourage one another daily. Encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened to sin's deceitfulness. It's like a constant process to re-surrender our lives to Christ, to re-believe the gospel, to reclaim him as king and Lord, to re-soften our hearts and open ourselves to him. And it's not work we can do of our own volition, but we are certainly participants in the work to not choose to be in rebellion. Do this as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened to sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the confidence that we had when we first began, right? And again, he repeats this. And this is, I think, from the 95th Psalm, right? Again, he repeats this. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like you did when you were in rebellion. I remember... Um, one time a friend of mine was, uh, who came to Christ later in life was so upset. They said, well, I, I, why didn't people tell me this when I was younger? Why, why didn't someone share the gospel with me? But, but the truth is, and I don't know, maybe this wasn't true for you. None of you were rebels, but I, I was a rebel. I still got a lot of rebel in me. I know I'm not very risky, but you know what I mean? I got a lot of rebel in me. It's not great. Um, but the truth is that the gospel was always present, that the salvation was always offered, but it was my heart that was turned against Christ. It wasn't someone's fault for not telling me the gospel. I was willfully choosing rebellion. And maybe you are today too. Maybe you're choosing the rebellion. The warning then is don't have hard hearts. It does matter. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Listen to the word. Were they not those that Moses had led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the desert? That means they died before the promised land. That's the, how serious this is. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not for those who disobeyed? Like, why would he even make that claim about his people? if there was no truth in it. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their lack of belief. So what does that mean? If you listen today to Hebrews, you heard how Moses was put over here as the leader of the Israelite people, right? But the claim earlier was that Jesus is greater than Moses, that he's an apostle and a high priest. But in both stories, you understand that you were called out of something into something. We were called out of the world and out of sin into heaven and into his presence forever forever. But you also know the story of the Israelites where they were led into a desert. So I will say this to you in closing. We are called, and I think about this in every way, including my role as a father, we are called to lead as Jesus would lead and to believe as Jesus would believe even in the desert. You remember he had his own 40 days, didn't he, in the desert, being tempted and tried. 
by Satan. We are called to believe when it's absolutely the most difficult thing we can do is to believe. When everyone around us is scoffing and mocking Jesus, when everything is okay except the gospel, when all of our friends will do anything except support the cause, whenever our wife or our husband or our children or our parents, listen, don't believe the gospel and are in the desert saying, we're going to die here, there's no hope for us. That is the time that we're called to believe the gospel. The failure didn't happen in slavery. The failure happened in the desert. Do you hear that? The failure didn't happen when everything was going great and they were getting gold earrings and lots of food. The failure happened whenever Moses, and I will say the Messiah, starts to call you into a barren land. But it's really hard when you're in the garage throwing tools. And that's the time that we must turn our hearts toward Jesus and honor the Father and say, no, you have better things for us. You have promised us more than this. And that's when the gospel matters. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. After we pray together today, we're going to offer communion if you want to receive it. I want to explain communion a little bit now. Communion is an offer that Jesus makes to his people. I'll say this. It's not about family Bible church. It's about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in um, 1 Corinthians 12, this is what Paul says. The thing that I received from the Lord... I also passed on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took a cup, and again, he said, this cup is a new promise made in my blood. Do this, and every time you drink it, remember me. And then Paul says this, because every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We are in the desert. Make no mistake. Today, if you need a Savior, he's here. If you want to receive communion and some nourishment in a dry and parched land, he's here, and you're invited to respond. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, for uh, the way that you reveal your truth through your word, we give you thanks and for who you are. Maybe everyone here is in a green pasture today, but I just, I just know that's not true. I know that we have struggles and difficulties also. And, and usually it's not one thing or the other, God. It's all the stuff it wants. A patch of green, a patch of sand, uh, some really good stuff, some really hard stuff. And, and, and I pray that for all of my friends who are here today, for all those that you've called children and holy and heaven-bound, that you would rend their hearts toward you today. Would, would you compel us to worship you? Would you compel us to put off our petty grievances, stop seeing the desert, and start looking toward the promised land? Would you help us celebrate today communion together? I thank you so much for the work of your word. I thank you for who you are in our lives, and I thank you that your spirit in us does not stop. Would you continue to do that work today? Whatever way you see fit, Father, for us, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity. You be glorified as we respond today. In Jesus' name, amen.